All right, we are continuing in our series in First Peter. We're picking up in chapter 4. We're going to be at verse 7. I've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So if you do not have a Bible, I invite you to, um, to uh, you know, take one of these. And someone here will make that available to you and give them a wave. And uh, we're going to get right into this. So I ask you to find it quickly on page uh, 1025 if you're in the Red Bible and on your own or on your app. Uh, wherever you would find your way to First Peter chapter four, this is the thirteenth week in this series, and we're not done yet. It's just, uh, it's been great as we've been digging into this this book. Uh, invite you to find it. First Peter is way, way, way to the right of your Bible, almost near the end. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. First Peter chapter four, starting at verse seven, reading through verse eleven. Peter writes this: The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Verse 10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated together. It's typical on Sundays that we we try to wrap up about noon. I'll let you know right now. We'll go probably go a few minutes over. Well, a couple times a year, at least, uh, my wife Becky and I, we like to get over to San Jose to see uh, hockey games, San Jose Sharks. That's our team. And and um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've got a friend who has set me up a number of times with with tickets, but even with free tickets, I'm not one of those fans that likes to leave a game early in professional sport. You never know what crazy play is going to happen right at the end of the game and change the outcome and Plus, I just love it, and you never know when a fight, I mean, when a really great play is going to break out. So, like, I love staying right to the end of the game. It's, it's how we roll. Um, but last spring, Pastor Stephen and I, along with uh, Michael and Sarah Clark, we bought tickets to a playoff game. Now, the thing about playoff hockey, it's really exciting. And Pastor Stephen's an Edmonton Oilers fan, and I'm a Sharks fan, and this was one very rare opportunity for us to see each other's teams uh, you know, face off against each other in a playoff game. And uh, so, but believe it or not, here we are in this playoff game and we left early to beat the traffic. Now, why, why would we, why, I don't do that. Why would we do that? Well, and this will all make sense in a few minutes, hopefully. Um, well, Edmonton ended up winning the series, the seven game series. But that night, San Jose was up by so many goals the outcome of the game was just undeniable. It was so absolutely certain. We felt, hey, we got a long drive back to Fresno. Let's, we'll leave early. We're confident in the win. And we left early in the game. Now, why would I bring that up? Why would that matter? I, I mentioned it to illustrate Peter's statement here in verse 7, where he says, the end of the world is coming soon. Okay, that's typically a fear-inducing statement, as if to say, oh, no. The end is near. Calamity, disaster, apostasy, apocalypse. They're all on us. The end is here. Right? When in fact, for the believer in Christ, the, the, the Christian, the end of all things is actually good news because it means the completion of 
the coming of God's kingdom. It's hope-inducing for us. So we can, quote-unquote, head to the car early because we know who wins. We have confidence in the end of all things. And yes, the end of all things includes calamity and disaster in this world. It includes persecution of God's people. It includes even unusual wars and natural disasters and economic chaos, all of which we've seen recently. I believe we are in the end of all times. But to say the end of the world is near actually is meant to encourage you to, to say you can hang on a little longer and you can be confident in your mission to make disciples of all nations because we know the outcome. But to do so, Peter says, you need to pray and we need to be attentive. The whole of verse 7 right, says the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers, or is the, if you read the New International Version, it'll say, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Now, you might wonder how Peter's end-time reminder fits into the kind of larger, you know, structure of this letter. But throughout it, Peter has addressed the function of the church, the operation of the church, relationships in the church. And in this passage, we're going to see just a few simple steps to help you find your place in that community of God's people, the church. Having an eagerness for the end of all things is part of what helps us live with purpose and mission and prayerfully in this life. Because you know something's coming. There's something that's coming. So if I'm going to find my place as a believer, I need to pay attention and pray. So if you're following along in your program, you know, every week we include a little notes page in there and you can follow along, take notes. Um, Helps you stay awake uh, when guys like me speak. And so um, that would be the first one there, just to fill that in. Pay attention and pray. Because, again, when I just drift, when I just coast along in life, not recognizing there is a cosmic deadline to come, you know, a cosmic timeline, I'm mostly going to live for just what I can see and taste and touch and feel and experience right now. Yes, I will love and care for my family, no question. And I'm probably going to help out around the church and, and I'll be nice to my neighbors. But listen, this is really essential here. Until I embrace God's warning of a coming deadline, I am not going to have any sustaining missional drive. Until I recognize, hey, there's an end coming that keeps me from having a sustaining missional drive. He says the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Now, presumably, Peter was there when Jesus himself talked about the end of all things. And so at the risk of a, of a rabbit trail, I want to take you back to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. Um, this is the first book in the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels that records the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24. And I want to read some of the things that Jesus himself said about the end of all time. And it is meant to make us a little uncomfortable and kind of sit up in our seats a little bit because of what he says. If you if you found that Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to pick it up at verse 3 where it begins with a narrative. And it says later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and, it, and, and it, the Mount of Olives is really just a just a hill and it's alongside Jerusalem. And so from that perch, they'd be able to kind of see the temple and see all that's happening in the city of Jerusalem. And he says this, his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? That is the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of all time. 
What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Jesus goes on, verse 9, Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. It's happening all the time right now. Verse 10, And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And, verse 14, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. And verse 30 and 31 says, And then, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with the mighty blasts of a trumpet and they will gather His chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. It's Jesus speaking. Jesus warning us of the things we can expect at the end of all time. So Peter is saying, pay attention and pray. What are we praying about? What, what's there to pray about? How, how, how do we do this? Well, things like this. You, you pray for strength and courage in the coming hard times. It's very possible that you and I, some of us, will have to make a life and death decision of do I follow Jesus or not. Some of us may suffer economic ruin or prison or some other suffering simply because we follow Christ. We're, we're to pray for the salvation of those who have not yet yielded to Christ so that in the end of all time they can be saved. We're to pray for suffering Christians even now all around the world. And we pray for those enduring calamity at this moment as we did this morning. I am glad that our, our President of the United States declared today a, a National Day of Prayer for those affected by Hurricane Harvey. I'm really glad about that. But we don't pray because he asks us to pray. We, natural disasters, calamities, even something as simple as you're driving along, you see a car accident on the side of the road. Those things should always prompt us to pray in part because they remind us that we are temporary residents in this world. And the end of all things is near. We've talked a lot about that in this passage, that we're... we're Exiles, we're foreigners here. And the next um, verses here, 8 and 9, kind of take us to the next step in finding our place in God's community. Verse, chapter 4 of First uh, Peter, verse uh, 8 says this, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. You know, um, it's not really complicated Right? You are to love people and open your door. If you can take notes, you can write that down. Love people and open your door. That's what we're called to do. Now, what does it mean when Peter says love covers a multitude of sins? Does that mean if you love someone, their sin doesn't matter? 
right? Or that your love atones for their sins. You know, for example, if I were unfaithful to my wife and she says, oh, I'll still love you. Does that make it okay? No, of course not. Love, love doesn't excuse that behavior. Each person is accountable to God for their sin. Only the shed blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for, to atone, to forgive our sin. The culture would say, hey, anything you do is fine. Any lifestyle is okay as long as you love each other. But that's not what Peter is saying. I want you to think about it this way. How many dog owners in the house, former or current dog owners? Yeah, quite a few of us, easily, probably two thirds in this house, in the room right now. You've had a dog. Now, let me ask you this question. Did that dog ever leave a, a gift for you somewhere on the carpet or somewhere in the house? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Now, did you immediately kick that dog out of the house and say, you're never coming back? Or did you take it off to the shelter and say, that's it, I'm done? Some of you might have. Some of you wanted to, but your spouse didn't let you, right? Or your kids, right? But no, what did you do? You loved the little rascal. You cleaned up his mess. You tried to train him a little better, retrain him. Your love for that dog did not excuse his sin, but in a sense covered it. Worked around it, made, made a way. And when we do life together in the community of God's people, we're going to make mistakes. We are going to sin. We're going to do things that hurt one another, right? We're, we're going to make a mess in some ways. We're going to fail. That happens because we're human. And as a believer, to say a love covers a multitude of sins, says, I choose not to be offended. I choose not to hold this against you, to, to release it. We step up and we help out each other. and We, in a sense, cover over one another's sin by not making it a big deal. And then Peter says we practice hospitality. Cheerfully, and NLT here says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. I just love hearing stories. I hear this often of how many of you are quick to bring a meal uh, to others when they're ill or grieving or in some kind of need. That's great. But, But why? Why does this matter? Why is hospitality important? In the body of Christ, right? Cheerfully share your home. And I, NIV translates it, if you're reading the New International Version, say, offer hospitality without grumbling. Without grumbling about it. Right? Well, it gets back to where we started in this letter. We are all foreigners here. We're aliens, strangers, exiles in this world. Our real home is in heaven. So that means your home, your apartment, your condo, wherever you live, it's a temporary residence. And because all that we have is really from the Lord, it's actually not your house at all. It's God's. Because anything you cannot take with you when you leave isn't actually yours, right? I mean, if it's yours, you'd be able to kind of pack it along. As someone said to me after the first service, there's no, no U-Haul behind a hearse. I mean, we, you leave it behind. So instead, you simply manage it for now, when my sons were, were little, and this would be true of any family who's raised young children, we may be invited to someone's house, and when you're there, they would get to you know, play with whatever toys are, are in the home, available to them. But when we would leave, they couldn't take those toys with them. They had to leave those toys behind. Why? They were theirs to use while in the home, but they were not theirs to take with them. They were simply managing those 
in the time that they had them. In the same way, all that we cannot take with us when we leave is really the Lord's. So we need to be ready to share with those in need. And as we love one another, as we extend hospitality, as you open your home to maybe something like a connection group or to someone who needs a a place to stay or as you prepare and share meals with other people, you are doing God's work and you're keeping your heart soft to the place that God has for you in the community of believers simply by making other people a priority over yourself. It's really the nugget there to say, I will give preference to others over myself. I I will place someone else's needs ahead of my own. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that's what gets us to verses 10 and 11 regarding the gifting you have and you ought to use in the body of Christ. Let me read that one more time. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. And everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. See, the Apostle Paul also wrote about this, that we've all been gifted. But, but, but Peter's reminding us here uh, that you've been given these gifts and given them so you'll exercise it for the benefit of others. Now, there's two big categories here, two broad divisions that Peter makes. He's, he's talking about speaking gifts and serving gifts. Kind of two kind of essential um, breakdown of these things. Speaking guests would include anything that sort of that general upfront leadership, speaking, uh, teaching, preaching, speaking in tongues, prophecy, intercession, words of wisdom and knowledge and discernment and encouragement. Serving gifts would include things like administration, mercy, helping, healing, kindness, giving. Those would be serving gifts. So you got these two breakdowns. Now you might think, I don't really know what I, where I fit. Like, well, what is, how am I gifted? Um, Am I this or am I that? Easy, um, easy free resource online. Uh, it's called spiritualgiftstest.com. You might want to write that down and check it out. It takes you about 10 minutes. And uh, you just go through and you answer a bunch of questions. And it's going to give you a result of like, here's, here's how you scored. It's not telling you, here's what the Lord said. Just saying, here's how you scored on this particular profile. Uh, it's a handy resource. And... Um, you know, take it for what that is, but it might help you see, wow, yeah, that makes sense. Or really, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't agree, but it'll help you get a sense of like, how am I gifted? How has God prepared me to serve other people in the church? Either way, whether you land in the speaking gifts or whether you land in the serving gifts, Peter tells us this third, third point in your outline today is that be confident in your calling, be confident in your, uh, sorry, be confident in your gifting. Be confident in your gifting. Naturally, I'm not advocating that you be arrogant about it or brag about it. Think that you're you know, better than you are. The Bible has plenty to say about humility and honest self-assessment. But if you're gifted for speaking, he would say speak with the confidence that God will speak through you. Now, that's a tall order. If you're someone you, you teach or you speak, you don't want to be arrogant or presumptuous in any way. But let's take this example. So this morning I'm standing here. I'm doing all the talking and you're doing all the listening. 
hopefully listening. Um, but, you know, that's kind of this kind of one way relationship right now. Right now, if I don't have the faith to believe that God has something to say to you through me from his word, I am wasting your time. We should just all pack up and go. But I have to have the faith to believe that, hey, I've, I've been called to this. I mean, and I'm gifted for this, and this is what I'm going to bring you. Now, right or wrong, that's where I have to land. And the same thing would be if you're in the, the serving gifts. Um, let's say, for example, that you serve in our parking lot. You're on parking duty. And we have this, this saying we've been talking about here occasionally that because we have a 9.30 service and 11 o'clock service at Bethany Church, we invite you to attend a service, serve in a service, invite to a service, and love somebody in a service. So we would say, attend one, serve in one, invite one, love one. It's kind of the, the pattern we're trying to encourage here. So let's say that you're on the parking lot team. Now if you think, well, I'm just here to prevent burglaries. That's all I'm here to do. And uh, I'm just here as security. I'm telling you, you could be replaced by a camera. That's it, right? But if instead you were out there and you understood, hey, I am here to serve for the glory of God. So I get to be that first welcoming smile as someone's coming to the parking lot. I get to, I get to pray for the church and the pastor during the service. I, I get to, to watch over these cars so that they're protected and people can relax in the service knowing things are safe. Well, that's awesome, right? There's a big difference on the out surface that looks the same, but the outcome might, might be different. Or maybe you, you wonder why we make such a big deal about children's ministry around here. We, you know, we don't do babysitting, Bethany Church. We do children's ministry. And you might think, okay, fine, I'll take a turn. I'll serve in the nursery. I'll hold the babies. You know, so it can do that. that you, if you go in with that attitude, it's going to get old fast and you're going to quit. But if instead you say, wow, I'm going to give up some of my time and serve in a way that, you know, a parent who's had this little one under their feet all week can take in a service and be encouraged and built up and they can worship with the body and have some teaching and I get to pray for and bless this little one and encourage my co-workers and you're serving as in the, as Peter would say in the strength that God provides then God is glorified in that you might even be holding a baby so someone's getting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time responding to the gospel well, that's a big difference isn't it this is kind of a missional drive to what you do in that case. There is a warning in that I want to add in here as well. And that, that is this, that the church, the church is not Walmart. The church is not Amazon.com. You go to those retailers for what you need or what you want and, and you, you, you search for the you know, best value and all that. But we're consumers and that's what consumers do. We go to a, somewhere that's going to meet my desires and my wants and needs. But the church is not meant to be a consumer experience. The church isn't here for you and for me to just kind of sit and consume. No, we're here to serve and to help one another. Or even more so, to be equipped so that tomorrow morning when you walk into your office, into your classroom, onto your job site, taking care of your kids at home, whatever your role is, that you're equipped to serve and love and do so in the strength and the joy that God provides for you. But it's why we say that the church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of those that aren't a part of it yet. 
We're, we're here for the benefit of those who aren't here. Not exclusively for ourselves. So again, whether you're gifted to speak or to serve, you do so in the strength and confidence and joy that God gives. Because when you do, God is glorified. Uh, and and if, honestly, if you're not serving with joy, you need to find a role where you can. Shift it, change it up, do something different. Um, you heard this morning from, from Nate Ayers sharing about how something as simple as serving here, people who are serving here really weren't thinking, I'm just prepping the ice water for the athletes as they go through camp, not realizing that part of your serving here created an opportunity where 49 different people prayed to receive Christ over a two-week period. Incredible. Incredible opportunity. Listen, I, I want to tell you, you have a place in the body of Christ. Now, if you have never trusted Jesus for salvation, that's the starting point. That's kind of the way in. Because without Christ, we are by nature living for ourselves. And if we're living for ourselves, we're in rebellion against God. And rebellion, or what the Bible calls sin, equals separation from God. Separation now and separation for all eternity. So we're invited to trust Christ because God loved you and he loved me enough to make a way to eliminate that separation from God. Jesus, the Son of God, right? He came as a human, came in human form. He lived a life on this earth. He was crucified. He was killed. He was separated from God so that we could be united with God. He took our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And it's only when we say, Jesus, I trust you to forgive me and to be the Lord and leader of my life that we experience a relationship, a friendship with God for now and for all eternity. That's what we're invited to do. If you've never said, Jesus, I turn to you for forgiveness as the Lord of my life. That's the starting point for you. And then from there, you're invited to find your place in this community we call the body of Christ. Nate, I love that story of, I think it was Molly, who, yeah, she knew church and she knew all that stuff, but it wasn't until she was in that personal relationship with Jesus that she really found her gifting. Two days in, and she's sharing her testimony and four more people got saved. That's, that should be normal, more or less. I mean, that's kind of what it should be. And we're invited to be a part of it. To find your place in this body, you need to pay attention and pray. You've got to love people. You've got to open your door. You've got to be confident in your gifting. Let's close in prayer. God, we're grateful. We're grateful as we are each week that you've given us your word, that you've preserved this and provided it for us so that we can be equipped and we can know better how to follow you and, and how to make an impact in other people's lives. We don't want to just kind of talk, talk, talk. God, we want to be people of action. And so I pray that in these days to come, you will be prompting each of us to really get a hold of how have you gifted me? What have you called me to do? And to be confident in that. Not comparing ourselves to others, but being confident in what you've called us to. Lord, I pray for uh, if any of us who have maybe not yet trusted Christ, or maybe we, we're not sure we stand with you. God, I pray that today would be the day we'd say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. And if, friend, if that's you today where you say, yes, I, I haven't known Jesus personally and today I want to be forgiven and I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. It's not difficult. You would just say, Jesus, please forgive me and take over my life. 
And if that's you, if, that, if that's the earnest cry of your heart today, I, I, I'm just begging you to tell somebody today that somebody you came with, you can talk to me or, or someone else, that you're making a decision to follow Jesus. God, we're grateful that you care for us. Lord, there's a lot on our hearts. It's been a hard week. Lord, it's been a hard week. Lord, we recognize that the end of all things is near. And so we just say, we, we trust you, but we need your help. And we need your comfort and we need your care and we need your provision. And we're turning to you, Lord. Help us to, to do that for each other as well. To love and care and support and comfort in these times. Thank you for your patience with us. Give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.